Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 601. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my favorite co-host, Corey Romero. Today is Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. Corey, how are you doing today? Doing well, Eric. Doing well. Things uh, things in Utah are great. Weather's, weather's beautiful. How are things in California? How are you, and uh, how was the color of the bay? Well, let me tell you, it was uh, it had gotten pretty cold here. We we called it winter last went last week, but uh, the sun is out in California now. It's warming things up. Uh, my bees swarmed, so the spring flowers are out. The California uh, state flower is the the poppy, and they're all in bloom. So we got a lot of prettiness out here in California. Can't uh, can't can't complain. And the color of the bay, it is just a nice calm green because it's not very warm, but it is chilly. It's still a little bit colder on the colder cooler side, and so enjoying this kind of fresh late spring air as we go on the show today we're going to be talking cybersecurity with uh rick mcelroy he's a principal cybersecurity strategist uh, at vmware works on the carbon black uh, came over i think for carbon black we'll talk to rick uh, in a moment here before we get to rick and cybersecurity uh let's talk a little bit about what's happening so obviously on the last show last week we talked about vmware explore uh, a lot of chit chat about explore but I'll just say Explore is happening August 29th through the September 1st. It's going to be three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I believe we're having a Monday event that will be focused on DevOps. So you can look for that as well. Uh, Mark your calendars, U.S., August 29th. Uh, in San Francisco, go get your hotels. If you're going to come, we're going to have V Brown Bag there. We're going to have community booth, V Expert booth, all that stuff. We've talked about that. Uh, and at the same time, Europe is going to be November 7th through the 10th, uh, 2022. Excited about being there and doing everything there as well. So with that news, Corey, anything else we need to talk about with about V Experts? Are we good to go? I think we're good to go. Um, I'll have some uh, some really cool, interesting news come up about the experts in the next couple of weeks. And when that happens, uh, everybody will be first to know here on the podcast. I know that uh, I talked to our our new CMO, got to have a chat with her, uh, Laura Heisman. Uh, really like her a lot. You know, I didn't talk much about our last CMO because uh, she didn't really spend any time in community and never reached out and wanted to talk to us about community and be experts, all that. But uh, I got on a call with her. She's really high energy. She loves social. She loves community. She wanted to know all about community, wanted to know all about V experts, wanted to see the V expert directory, uh, wants to be a V expert, wants to get on Hootsuite and Talkwalker. So, uh, going to be a lot of fun with our new CMO. I like her a lot. Her name is Laura Heisman. And since she seems to be excited about advocates and the experts, uh, I think we'll have her on just to bring her on. We don't very usually bring higher ups because, uh, you know, we like to just kill them. But uh, 
anyway, I'm only kidding. We will bring Laura Heisman on the show because I think she's going to be a, a great person to have as a CMO when it comes to community and social. Um, so with that, let's get to our guest. Uh, he is a famous in his own right in community because he runs the uh, Howler. Uh, I think there's the Howler, Ask the Howler podcast series, live stream series on the Carbon Black channel on YouTube. Um, so Rick, if you want to unmute yourself, uh, I'll say hello to you. And uh, why don't you we start with uh, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. We are a community podcast, so we like to get to know everybody. Uh, who you are, how long have you been? with Carbon Black VMware, VMware, and what's your career arc look like? Yeah, uh, Rick McElroy, Principal Cybersecurity Strategist. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm always excited to get out in the community. Um, it's sort of where I work. I think people know me as being very active in the community, so I'm always happy uh, to do these types of activities. But yeah, I've been here um, going on seven years, so I, I massively predate um, going, you know, uh, becoming a public company, becoming acquired by VMware, uh, all the way back to the days before we actually had a cloud product um, when we were strictly an on-prem, you know, EDR and application control company, and it's been. Uh, it's been a blessing. I'm extremely grateful to find myself in this role. Uh, it's been literally my funnest job uh, that I've ever had. And, and previous life to this, um, how did I end up uh, coming to work at a vendor when I've never spent any time at a vendor? Um, look, I, I started off on the offensive side of the house when I got out of the Marine Corps and um, spent, a, spent a number of years doing that um, against the Department of the Navy, against the United States Marine Corps. Um, and I figured out that, uh, frankly speaking, offense, was way too easy. We got in every single time, every single engagement, um, and defense was lagging. And, and so um, I really wanted to go work on the defensive side of the house. So I started building and leading security programs out here in San Diego, did that for a number of entities. Um, and that journey and the journey of actually defending environments um, from within led me um, to actually meeting the co-founders of the company and convincing them that I should come do this job. Oh, that's interesting. A couple, a couple thoughts there. I did spend time in San Diego at the uh, submarine bases. Uh, uh, there's yes. a lot of marine, marine, uh, navy there, submarine there. Been, been on base there. Great place, great city. And you know, it is like the industrial complex for you know uh, the U.S. military. San Diego is one of the one of those places, right? Like it. it Absolutely. So uh, fond memories of my time down there. Um, and then I, I got to ask you, like when you joined Carbon Black, how many people do you do you remember, like how young they were? Or how, how many people were at Carbon Black when you got started with them? Yeah, I think we were about 250. Um, so we had just uh, pushed go on hiring, I think, some new sales folks um, actually bringing in a new CMO, um, those types of things. So so really, I think um you know, moving beyond what we were doing. Um, so, so very intimate, um, you know, it's one of the things I, I guess I, I would say um, if I had a regret over the pandemic or, you know, things for me that changed, um, I'm used to having um, deep relationships with folks that I work with. Um, obviously, you know, some of that is hampered uh, with remote work and Zoom. Uh, but yeah, I miss being in the same room with people uh, working on some really hard problems. Uh, and then obviously, I think being an advocate and a voice for our customers um, and for security leaders out there to ensure that we're A, um, marketing our solutions correctly in a way that makes sense to people um, and then b are actually articulating the value that we can drive for them and, um, and it's been great i think it's been super well received by the community um, along with um, the organization itself it's it's sort of a true north that we have really listening to our customers 
Right. And just so for the people that are listening on the podcast, if it's audio, uh, Rick, your your Twitter is InfoSecRick, right? So at InfoSecRick, go give him a follow um, so that uh, he, he can see you're out there. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming on the podcast and be a part of it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else career wise uh, that uh, that we can hit you with. But uh, I think that's a good good sense of how you've how yeah. you got here. Well, look, the, the, the last thing I'll say is I don't believe any journey in cybersecurity is linear. So lots of times I'm, I'm speaking to folks that are just getting in their career, maybe folks that are mid-level of their career, and, and everyone's always worried. Where do you stack rank? Um, what are the things you have to do? Here's what I would tell you. Um, do good work and be associated with good people, and I think your career will take care of itself. Um, but generally for me, I think finding interesting problems and interesting people that are working on those problems is, is a good way to um, – you know, really move your career forward more, more so than like, here's the job you should go get or the certification you should go get. Yeah. I think as I wind down my career, because I think I turned 60 this year uh, and maybe I'll do another five or seven years. Who knows? I'm, I'm excited about the we, the work we do. I'd love the community. So uh, like all that, but I, I got to say, looking back, you're right. I did emphasize too much what I was doing and not enough just the relationships you build and the quality of those relationships and the quality of what you do, because that for me stays with you. And at the end of your career, you look back and I cringe at the things that I didn't do very well, but it paid a lot. Right. And I'm most proud of the things I did do well, even and regardless of what it paid. Right. So that that is great advice, Rick. So. Thanks for that one. Uh, let's get a little bit into, I know you do some Howler stuff, right? So maybe we can spend a, you know, maybe five minutes or so just talking about what is Howlers? Uh, I've heard of Howlers. I know that I helped you guys do a couple live streams using the tools when Julia was out on vacation. So let's talk a little bit about Howlers and Carbon Black. Yeah, so um, look, the Howlers, uh, more than anything, um, are an idea, right? And so the idea behind the, the Howlers is really, um, to your earlier point, what you mentioned at the start of the podcast, community, 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 right? We are advocates on behalf of the uh, cybersecurity uh, community. We do that at multiple levels, whether that's um, Tom Kellerman and his work with the JCDC and the White House itself to really help set um, cybersecurity regulations and guidance out there that makes sense, whether that's engaging at a state and local level or whether that's engaging with prospects and customers at, you know, something like an RSA or a Black Hat. Um, we really act as uh, trusted advisors, again, both internally to the organization. So we hold that true north of the security operators, the security leaders that are really um, owning and operating our products. Um, and then uh, we, we really, really do care and we're really passionate about security. And so we look for any of those opportunities to really help our existing customers mature what they're doing or to help a prospect um, get in a better place, whether that's um, buying our technology or not, all that being, um, uh, all, all, all that aside, um, uh, the Howlers have a, a wealth. Um, I mean, we've got Howlers who, who used to be CISOs for Bank of America and AT&T and the, the, you know, the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, those types of uh, experiences that we're able to bring to bear with our customers and the community um, in a way that gives them practical, actual advice they can mature um, their, their security operations and outcomes. Right. So up to up level this a little bit, like the howlers for me, the way I understand it, you have your, there's a couple of you guys that come on the howlers, ask the holler show, but the howlers is much like a V expert uh, organization that when we brought carbon black in, you have the howlers, which are, are the, the howlers, which are like kind of like V experts for, for carbon black. Right. And how many howlers are out there? 
Yeah, it, it's uh, 25 plus of us, right? So there are full-time okay. howlers. So it would be correct to say myself, Tom Kellerman, and Karen Wurstel um, are paid to do this job. And okay. then we have um, what I lovingly refer to as a bunch of awesome maniacs inside of our SBU that love, love, love security. That's, um, that, that, that's you know, who they are. That's what they do. And so we've really um, encouraged uh, others in the organization to participate and, and really participation at every level. So we have, you know, sales folks that are howlers. We have SEs that are howlers. We have people on our threat team that are howlers. And so what we try to do as a group is, is um, provide this collective wisdom, not only to each other, um, but also in, in the form of blogs, podcasts, webinars, all of that good stuff out to the community um, so that we can keep them informed. And again, hopefully um, a little bit better than the shop next to them uh, so that these issues are, are a little less when they affect them. It does remind me of VMware when we were a smaller company and we had the experts and I think we started with 25 V experts along the along the journey. And then as we you know matured and grew in billions of dollars, we just ended up picking up more V experts as as we went along. So that that's that's neat. I would encourage people to go to YouTube, look for Carbon Black, and you guys have the the Howler Show playlist is on the Carbon Black YouTube channel. So you can go check out Rick. Yeah, and one one the final note on that, Eric, um because right. I uh I do got a plug. Um, so there's a reason we picked this name. Uh, we, we actually took it and took inspiration from a book series that uh, we are a huge fan of. Uh, so this book series is called Red Rising. Um, you can go check it out. Think of it as um, Game of Thrones in our own um, solar system in the future. Uh, and there's a group in there called the Howlers. Um, we took most of our inspiration from um, this particular group because of uh, so, sort of their passion and fanaticism about what they were up to. Um, and so we do want to play plug the book and then tell everybody to go read it because it's amazing. And I'd love to talk to you about it because it's one of my favorite book series. What is the book again? Say the title one more time. Yeah. So the book series is called Red Rising. Red Rising. Okay, cool. Good, good. All right. Check it out. I was going to say the Howlers was like barking dogs because, you know, you're trying to bring light to people or, you know, maybe bulking wolves or whatever it is. That would have been my guess. And I meant to ask you that question, but you beat me to the punch. So there you go. Nope. That's a fairly good take on it. And also one of the reasons that we thought it was a perfect name for the group. Right. Okay. So let's get on uh, to security, right? Like uh, we, you know, we're here. Uh, I noticed that we talked last week uh, about VMware, VMware Explorer and uh, SecOps is a big thing. Now it's becoming like, it's one of the major tracks uh, and we're, it's the audience we're looking at bringing in. And to some degree, so the reason we have you here is that we are starting to, you know, as an, as IT practitioners, we are starting to, you know, get serious about SecOps. You know, let's talk about security overview, SecOps, what is it? Um, and, you know, and what do you know about it coming to VMware Explorer? You might not know much about that, but give us an overview of the security landscape and how it's becoming relevant to IT. Yeah, um, this is a great question. Um, and I'll actually, uh, I used to um, have an email signature. So, so the first time I ever built a security program, I was trusted to do that, um, was actually for an organization called uh, Mailboxes, et cetera. I was brought in um, prior to UPS buying them and, and uh, rebranded everything the UPS store. Right. But, um, and you can go ask any of my IT admins that I worked with because I'm still friends with them. Uh, the email signature that I had said, good system administration is good security and vice versa. And I remember when I first put that in there, and I actually remember all of the comments that came back from the IT administration team uh, because they thought it was a little funny, right? And I wasn't actually trying to be funny about it. I actually do believe in that principle. I do believe in the principle that um, smart people who are empowered and understand what they're working on um, are able to better detect anomalies. They're better able to patch it. They're better able to do the hardening. Um, and none of those things 
uh, in my humble opinion, are a core function of what a security operations team should do, right? Those are IT functions, right? When you talk about um, secure technical implementation guidelines and, and what does a server, you know, what does a, a, a SQL server need to look like to be secure, right? Like, hey, I can give you the guidance on that, but I'm not hands on the keyboard configuring the system. So now let's talk about security operations and, and building that, what that looks like from a modern perspective. Well, as you can imagine, it's a bit of a mess. Um, so, so imagine you're a security team, uh, you, you are probably at some point in your career operating with the least amount of information on what's actually occurring inside of this environment. So asset management becomes important. Like what are the things that are connected to what, what do I need to defend? I can tell you I've, I've Greenfield built three security programs and in each one of those cases, it's been an inordinate amount of time. I mean, months to actually do internal reconnaissance to even figure out the boundaries of the network that you're on, right? Now, we all know documentation is important from that perspective, but what do you do when an organization um, suddenly uh, gets an influx of money and you're hiring, you know, 100 people a month, you're adding, you know, 10,000 cloud systems, like it's really hard to scale that, especially um, when, you're, when you're sort of new. So security operations in a lot of ways is still catching up to where IT is. Um, but if you look at it, it, it has touch points everywhere. There's compliance touch points. There's legal touch points from an investigation perspective. Um, there, there's, you know, the visibility into actually being able to see what these attackers are doing, right? So that's that's going to be a blend of the network, you know, your data. You've got some uh, uh, some event logging going into that. You're probably backhauling it to a sim, something like Splunk, something like Logarithm. Now you're seeing modern teams bring that into their own data lake to write their own analysis over it, or what you see from a vendor perspective, um, which is this idea that if you can generate more data, you can actually see more of these behaviors, which means you should be able to prevent, detect, and respond to those. And, and so it's a, um, it's a huge challenge. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, the, the one issue that I love talking about with IT and security, which is how many times does um, security notice an anomaly, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, they kick it over to the IT team to get some sort of information, IT's you know, running around, they kick it back to security. Meantime, we're wasting everybody's time over a false positive, right? So where I really like to operate on is how can we drive down these false positives? How can we start to give both of these teams a common data set to operate off of so that we can, we can bring both of those teams to bear on the security operations problems? Because frankly speaking, um, you're never gonna get enough people inside of security you're, you're never going to have enough time to do uh, 100% of the job that you need. So I believe it's fundamentally um, critical to start to enlist some of these folks that are great administrators. They do care about their systems. They do understand what a bug looks like when it's introduced to the environment. Great. Now let's start to train them on what a security bug, what does an exploitation of a vulnerability on that system look like? Start to tap them for... Um, you know, for those purposes. And I think the teams that are doing that are having much better success than the ones that um, are still silent. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, in my experience, you know, maybe 15 years ago, nobody asked me, you know, when I, when they gave me big budget and I needed to hire another 100 people, they weren't asking, you know, what am I doing with security? How am I making sure those 100 people we bring in, what's the operational process for, you know, keeping everything organized and safe and secure? None of that. Maybe seven years ago, we started encrypting things like, oh, okay, the, the hypervisor needed to be encrypted. The file systems it needs uses because we were kind of under 
under attack, right? Like, you know, uh, and so there was this, this notion that, okay, we have to encrypt everything. That was kind of like the, and everybody looked at encryption from point to point, right? And that became security. And now I see security becoming a holistic, as you just point out, right? Like it's the process, it's systems, it's everything coming together, right? And, uh, and making a whole security footprint. And we do now get, you know, people saying, okay, when we're doing a new program, how does security weave into that, right? It is becoming, if it's not, you know, it's not a second cousin anymore, right? It's, 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 it's maybe my sibling, but maybe it's also my parent, right? Like I can't really tell where the level is, but it's certainly one of these things now that uh, everybody starts to, to, to worry about operationally. So when we talk uh, security operations, right? Like how have you seen the operations side of that? Like in the data center, are you know? Are you getting more groups that are focused on security? We had network admin, we had storage admin, we had compute admin. Where does security fall into that space? Yeah, uh, all of the above, because because again, verticals matter, um, size of the uh, organization matters. Um, you know, obviously, I think finance is doing a, a bit better because they can spend more money on the problem and uh, and hire some some key talent. I think um, you know, healthcare is still struggling. Um, obviously for a lot of the known reasons, but, but yeah, I think, um, holistically as we're sitting down talking to folks and it's been a real interesting, um, I think discussion journey for us, right? So we, uh, as a carbon black entity, um, we're used to having a voice with CISOs, right? So CISOs understood what we did, they understood the value that we had. Um, CIOs, as you can imagine, probably had no idea who carbon black was, let's face it, unless, um, we came in to do you know, an investigation once they were breached. Uh, so now that we're talking to CIOs, it, it's interesting because we we actually describe our value proposition slightly different, right? Like when I talk to a CIO, I don't talk about the efficacy of our product from a, um, look, we catch 100% of, you know, the, these particular APT actors or here's our ransomware efficacy. No, it's um, here's how I can, I can drive down the risk of this environment and holistically, you, you know, as a CIO, as somebody who's delivering a technological solution, you're delivering a platform. And in my head, I, I draw a key analogy to how we deliver, um, you know, motor vehicles and, and automotive or, um, you know, how airlines build those airlines, right? Like they're not like when you build a car, you don't strap the brakes on at the end. Right. You, you, you're not then retrofitting seatbelts and, and adding in, you know, some fourth party to put in your rearview mirrors. Like that's not what happens. You deliver a whole platform um, with safety in mind. Right. Because consumers uh, care about that. And you can clearly follow, you know, the case of Volvo or anybody else out there who's creating a safer um, solution. Um, people do care. Consumers do care. And so I think as we're thinking about delivering, you know, that IT platform, we have to think of it the same way and go, well, wait a second. I need to bring, you know, detection and response into this platform. Like I need, I need it to generate telemetry so I can understand abnormal. Awesome. Why don't we include that in the upfront requirements to actually build the thing and then give our developers a way to do that, that increases their safety, right? So uh, minimizes their chances of making mistakes um, and maximizes their velocity. Those are the two things that I think the, the, the shops that are really thinking about this cloud first world um, are working on from a platform delivery, but it's baked in now. Like you, you can't just keep bolting things on afterwards. That's not what, um, it's not what our customers are, are asking for. Right, right. And that, that gets us into VMware Acquire and Carbon Black. You're, uh, you're here, Carbon Black's here. Uh, we're expanding explore i want to say vmworld to include uh security operations um 
when we talk about Carbon Black's product, I know it's a SaaS product, right? I know it uh, sits and we you connect it. Uh, why don't you take us through like where we are when it comes to Carbon Black integrating into our product family now, right? Like I know it's been a year or two. We got we got you a couple of years ago, and it was just all standalone. And we have been slowly integrating things into that because I think it is that integrated approach that you know you want to have. Um, where are we when when it comes to integration, and how do you see this playing out? Take us through a little bit about where how Carbon Black fits into the VMware portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, look, I, I think uh, it, it all started where we wanted it to start, um, which is can I push out our agents um, via any you know uh, virtualized server that lives in a vSphere environment and just have that on? Well, the answer to that today is yes, it exists. Um, you don't have to do a client push. Um, it's part of the VMware toolkit, uh, which I think fundamentally, like having seen um, the beta version of, of you know VMware when it first came out, like the actual you know beta version of, of Workstation out there, like to where we have this now, where you, you're actually getting instrument instrumentation and telemetry from um, you, you know your vSphere server itself. Fantastic, right? But are we going to stop there? No. Um, I am a huge fan of what we've done from a workload perspective. So again, I'm having that instant on visibility, the ability to not do, you know, let, let's not roll out 10,000 more agents. It's like, it's, it's just a service that should run, right? Great. Uh, now, uh, in, more interesting things that we're doing from a detection and response perspective. So um, if you think about detection and response holistically, um, and I think anybody in our organization or across the organization um, would fundamentally argue that we, we believe a bunch of people are looking at this problem incorrectly. Um, they're, they're attempting to extend one particular uh, set of visibility into another area, i.e. maybe network and endpoint coming together. And we're certainly going to stop there, but I, I don't think that's... Um, at least based on conversations I've had with Cal and Scott and the rest of the team, that's not where our head's at. Ultimately, um, we know that there's a fantastic set of telemetry that's generated from all of the solutions that VMware uses. How can we start to gather and federate all of this data in a way where an organization and specifically uh, security operations teams and CISOs can better understand normal in their environment and then better understand malicious, like how much faster how much sooner to that point of click can we start to push these solutions as we're blending this data together? And so, you know, current engineering efforts are along that path. We refer to that as our um, open XDR strategy. We fundamentally believe after talking to our customers, after talking to analysts, um, that it makes no sense to have a closed XDR solution. You're going to see a bunch of the competition go after that. Um, I personally don't like that. Um, why don't I like it? Uh, we're missing pieces today from a, a, a detection and response perspective. One of the key pieces is identity. So we need partners in this space. We need folks like Okta and Ping and Microsoft and all of the all the folks that have directory services out there, because that is crucial to actually understanding um, whether or not something or a user activity is bad. And if we're actually going to do zero trust, it's a key fundamental piece for us, right? So I like our position in the market. I really do. I think it gives us um, certain advantages that our competition doesn't um, because we are open. We are partnered with almost every single vendor that's out there. Um, and it doesn't limit us to our own telemetry to be able to bring together, you know, this open XDR strategy. And, and so I, I know for the folks in um, Carm Black SDU, uh, it, it's something that since all of us have sat in the seat as a security operator and built these things, we know we've needed it. And um, we are so ready to bring this to, to market. I'm out talking to people, uh, you know, right now about it. It's, um, 
it's 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 going to be uh in my humble opinion a little bit of a game changer what we're doing so to today we announced Alibaba. I think a, a, a closer relationship with Alibaba was in the news. VMware announced did a press release that we've you know done a tighter cl- uh, connection with Alibaba Cloud. Uh, when we talk multi-cloud, right? Are you guys in this space as well? Uh, I know you're obviously a cloud service. I'm not even sure we do on-prem. So first, do we do you guys do cloud uh, carbon black on-prem or is it primarily a cloud service? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll be really clear. Um, Carbon Black has a number of different offerings, right? So we started off in the on-prem uh, space with solutions like application control and solutions like uh, uh, endpoint detection and response on-prem. Subsequent to that, um, a cloud was built that offers prevention, uh, prevention detection, and response um, in one agent. Uh, that agent then goes out to the cloud. We're able to do uh you know streaming analytics over the data so that we can determine you know malicious but we're also um, able to query those endpoints right so we're actually able to ask our endpoints questions in real time to gather data and we're also able to have those endpoints um uh take action right so whether that action is automated whether it's an incident responder that's actually using our agent on the endpoint to do something like forensics analysis you know, um, looking at the state of the memory or whatever the case may be to gather those artifacts. Um, those are things that we facilitate today. Um, so yes, we still offer on-prem. And in fact, um, when you look across, I think our broad customer base, there is still um, a need who, uh, for folks who have enclaves as an example. Um, as you can imagine, um, if you're in the United States Navy, it's very hard to cloud enable your submarines. So if you wanna do, you know, threat hunting at scale across, um, you know, certain things with slow satellite links, you're going to need some on-prem, you know, solutions to do that, right? That being said, uh, with Carbon Black Cloud itself, you know, the power of that is a couple of things. One, lightweight agent with multiple functionality, so you do get prevention, detection, and response. And then, of course, um, bringing to market, you know, our managed detection and response offering over that. So when you look at a, a, our, our team, our managed detection and response team, you know, Paul Miller, Tariq Reardon, Amelia Eastwick, these are talented folks who come from the intelligence agencies that are now defending, you know, our customers' data. And I, I again, I think that's um, that's not only huge for our customers, um, but, it, but it's a huge value to national security overall. And, and those are the types of missions that we like to get up to here. I think there's a, a couple things that uh, that come to mind here, um, which is you you talked about real time alerts and what is VMware doing around? And I know Howlers gets into this. Uh, your some of your uh, the, the ask the Howlers does talk in real time about what's actually happening. What are the threats? Uh, people always tell me in security, it's it's not what I did yesterday. It's what's what I got to worry about tomorrow. It's always a moving thing. How do we keep people up to date with what they need to be worrying about? And I know you do a little about and the hollers if you watch them you'll you'll watch your shows you're talking about some of the threats what's happening you know the log j threat came up over the holiday we did a session on that um how is vmware and carbon black engaging with our customer base to keep them current um yeah well look i i think um it's impossible uh and and i don't know if it's impossible maybe at some point ai can can scale to this in the future to really keep up on all the things right um i think it's part of our jobs uh, to, to keep up on what's actually occurring, but more importantly, to, to sift through the noise, because there's a lot of noise with um, brand new shiny objects that come out that the adversaries are doing. More importantly, what we try to do um, is gather the trends. So it may not 
actually being updated about a specific piece of malware, although it could be uh, in the case of like the hermetic wipers uh, and the new ones that we're seeing out of the Ukraine that are now, you know, spreading across the globe. Um, but more importantly, like what are the trends? And um, if I have a trend, I should defensively be able to do something about that trend, right? Like we can't just say, hey, this is a bad thing and there's nothing anybody can do about it. There's some vendors, you know, who do that to obviously build their brand. Um, we try to be more realist. And so what we try to do is gather this information, look at the trends and then say the actionable advice out of this trend is to go and prove what you're doing from a credential harvesting perspective is to actually implement micro segmentation to stop this new form of lateral movement whatever the case may be and so i would say we're trying to act as a um, as a clearinghouse if you will for this information right. and then really distill it down to like useful th this is useful this is something i need to pay attention to but more importantly what can i go back and tell my team to do differently today um, and i hope uh, folks who attend our stuff, like that's something that we, we always hold at the end of our webinars to go like, here's tactics that you can change today. And then here's some stratagems you may need to consider because we do believe, and one of our, you know, design principles is really around the offensive side of how it should inform defense and the defense should be able to react to whatever the offensive teams are doing, but you can't always cry wolf. It can't always be the, you know, the world's going to end or this new attack is, is going to take down the power grip. I have to be very, um, I think, realist about it. And um, I think our, 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 our media counterparts and then, of course, our, our customer counterparts, I think that's why, you know, we, we elevated ourselves to uh, uh, that trusted status. One of the reasons. So uh, I always ask, you know, people when they have solutions, and this always has bitten me in the past, right? Which is size of deployments, right? How do you guys do at scaling? Um, uh, infinite. I mean, I don't want to say infinite scale, right? But when we have customers who push out hundreds of thousands of endpoints, um, whether that's on-prem, uh, you know, we we blew through that scale barrier. Uh, I want to say six months after I started, and, and then of course the cloud is um, pretty much unlimited. I won't go into the numbers or the size that's been deployed from a managed detection and response perspective. Um, I, I would highly recommend you get like Paul Miller on here to talk about that. Um, but I can say based on those numbers, I don't see a limit to what we're doing right now. So, um, I, you know, if, if you've got 100,000 endpoints, we're, we're happy to bring them into the fold. If you've got 20,000, we're happy to bring those as well. Cool. Just uh, always want to ask that we've been bitten in the past, right? Where where you, you got something, it's relatively new. It's a new company. They've been out for six years, whatever. You bring them into an enterprise where you have hundreds of thousands of VMs running, and then you're looking at it going, come uh, this or whatever. This is going to really scale. Um, yeah, we had a we had a bit of the opposite problem actually. I would say when we started our cloud journey, um, it was really performance issues um, on the endpoint and with the sensor itself. Those those have clearly. Uh, <laughs> at least based on all the happy customers that I've talked to over the last six months, um, we've gotten through that. But yeah, I, I think for us as an endpoint vendor, um, it, it's uh, you got to pay a lot of attention to the performance on, uh, of the asset. And also, um, as you can imagine, we've got customers who have six or seven other security tools deployed on that same system. So you got to make sure you play in the sandbox well. So I, I got another community question because I think you guys deal with this. This is a different community paradigm than I think we get in IT, which is on one hand, you want to share. Communities love to share everything. On the other hand, some of this stuff is not something you want to share, right? Because they're vulnerabilities. How do you how do you walk that knife edge, right? When you when it comes to like, you know, dealing with, you know, you as an evangelist, as a security specialist, where you want to talk about everything that you know, but at the same time, you don't want to talk about everything you know. 
Well, in some things you can't. I mean, you know, frankly speaking, we get involved in NDA conversations. Um, you know, we, we, we if you look at VMware's largest customers, we were just out with all of them. Um, our largest customers happen to be, um, you know, government agencies and the Department of Defense and sure. central intelligence agencies. And so, as you can imagine, right. some of those conversations are not for public consumption. That being said, um, I think, again, from a, um, you know, value in what we do, we are able to do, we, we have these conversations at RSA in a bar. We have these conversations uh, in hotel suites at DEF CON um, where it's, you know, folks who we know, who we are vetted network of, of people who are able to do this in a way um, that exchanges that information. And so it's not formal. Uh, and then we're able to distill that out to the community. I'll give you an example of this. Um, and something you're starting to see the community talk about is, is really um, firmware. Uh, and then, the, and, and, you know, it's a piece of software. We don't treat it like it's a piece of software. And there's a whole bunch of gaps in security on it. Um, this conversation, I can kind of remember, uh, st started off amongst a very small group of people. Some of those people were from, you know, intelligence backgrounds and the Department of Defense background. And now you see products actually dedicated to that, you know, a few years later on the market um, with some awareness. And so I think what we try to do is, is track the realistic you know, threats and then elevate those as appropriate. But sometimes, um, you know, we abstract that from customer cases or, you know, from, from the um, incident response uh, engagements that are going on. Because as you can imagine as well, um, other than uh, two, you know, CrowdStrike and Mandy and everyone else is partnered with us. So, so uh, I think this is a, another key thing to think about. Most of the breaches that occur, um, it's probably one of our in incident response partners that are going in there to deploy our product on prem to actually figure out what happened when all of this other uh, defensive solutions have broke down. Uh, and we get a lot of information from that, right? So we have folks on our talent team that are dedicated to, to managing those efforts. And then of course we speak with them all the time. Well, um, we get those folks together in a room, exchange some of this data. So uh, as you're looking at some brand new technique that oil rigs doing, we happen to be in the room where that's being discussed. And then we of course want to make sure um, that, that our product, uh, you know, prevents or detects that as well. I I want to I want to change topics a little bit and talk about uh, people on prem, uh, which now I'm just asking you my favorite uh, my favorite interesting questions, which uh, isn't necessarily software related, but it is like how much of what we see in attacks because like I know we get online attacks and people are getting in and and there's a lot of work and we have vulnerabilities log J bugs Java bugs whatever that let people in and they're attacking us, but then how many of the serious ones have you seen in your career? And this is just up leveling fun questions about your career, like think, think of it like that, were people that somebody got into an organization and then just got access to servers and then, you know, created havoc or stole everything, right? Like how much of that do you, do you ever see any, any instances where, you know, like you hear about spies from different countries coming in and just getting access. And is anybody talking about what to do around people, verifying people, security procedures in-house? You talked about, you know, keeping your asset list together, Talk, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, identity um, and access management and privileged access management is, is not easy. Um, Helen Patton uh, just just published a pretty good article on, on Medium and LinkedIn uh, and Twitter where she was uh, kind of really, I think, poking at the fundamentals there, which was great. Uh, I love Helen. And so, so look, it's an active conversation. Um, I would tell you, uh, we have howlers that cover insider threats, specifically Dave Balker. If you go look him up, 
Um, he's done talks at uh, most of the B sides, a lot of the hacker events, and and his career has really been around, you know, finding those folks, right? So um, I think, look, my my general um, wisdom and guidance on that is, if you can catch an insider, you will be dang sure you're going to catch these attackers. Because why? When an external attacker gets into your environment, in almost every case, one of the first things they're going to do is elevate credentials. They're they're going to credential harvest and they're going to start to impersonate people in your environment, right. preferably. They want that system admin account is they you know and preferably the global admin account um so so then they're going to start to do things like um uh it'll look like system administrator behavior like powershell suddenly initiated from some system admin account on an endpoint it's doing a process listing well look uh if i'm no a big system deal. administrator yep, yep i do that. Yep. I, I might have to do that for the for the trouble ticket that was put in because the user says their laptop's slow right I'm, uh, well, yep. what's going on what's the conflict i'm also an attacker is keenly interested from a recon perspective if i can build my defenses to see that chain of events and start to put together you know that malicious behavior i can actually stop the external attackers when they get in as well um, and so we talk a lot about this and really what we talk about is um, it's an analytics problem and it's a uh, visibility problem so um, identity and logging those identities is going to be key you're going to need some endpoint data and some network data to start to backhaul that into um, a sim or, or you know your own data lake or use someone like us to actually uh you know write the uh, you know the the ml that actually shows you the malicious behavior over this set of events um this is a piece of advice that tk and i have been given every single um banking institution that we talk to go grab your fraud team and your security team and have them get together and start looking at writing analytics over these longer slower chains where people are inside of this environment doing this behavior because they're really low and slow attacks and then of course um this issue was brought to a head um, during the pandemic with organizations who um, had either had to provision too much access because we had to punch a bunch of holes, we sent a bunch of people home, or um, employees who weren't actually happy with what their organizations were doing from a people management perspective, um, and then either selling data, burning systems on the way out the door as a system administrator to, to punitively punish the organization. Uh, but the, the risks are extremely high when a trusted insider um, has access. It's you know it's what it is i would also tell you if anybody's interested um our national security strategist eric o'neill um he, he's super famous because he worked for the fbi and caught the longest standing um spy in u.s history you can watch the movie about a breach but why do i reference it in, in reference to insiders he actually wrote a book published it i think um uh two a year and a half ago it's called gray day definitely read that book it's a it's a great read and um and reach out to eric because he's on the team as well all right what are, you know, like, I hate to ask this because there's always more challenges, but like, as you've seen Carbon Black come into VMware, right? And you're dealing with a much bigger footprint now. What do you see some of the challenges over the next few years? Like where, where do you see security happening? I, I want to say that, hey, we have Carbon Black, things are getting better. We're getting software, it's embedded in like, but then it, you know, people say it's a moving target. You know, you have ransom attacks, you have insider, you know, storage going down, backups going down. Where do you see, what are the biggest challenges you see for our industry going over the next several years? Um, why don't you take a moment to, you know, and then I always say what inspires you guys, but let's just say, where do you think it's going? Uh, what do you think the biggest challenges are? Where do you think the biggest movement's going to be in solving some of this? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it, like if I, if I skate far enough on the horizon line, I mean, the answer is, um, 
you know, offensive AI and defensive AI actually battling it out right now. Um, it's it's in the very rudimentary phases. Um, you can clearly see on the attacker side that they're starting to build um, models to do offensive security and and sort of the pre-recon um, part of attacks. And and so you can you can kind of see you know over time where this is all going. Um, ultimately, I think. Uh, look, it's really cool VMware's position uh, in the security space. And I have all kinds of thoughts about this, but like, um, but fundamentally, and I think most of us in, in security operate on the belief that like we've had to do a bunch of things and deploy a whole bunch of technology to cover up some fundamental problems. And I'll point to something like Microsoft. Um, and and uh, I will credit them over the last you know 10 years. Uh, they, they've done a whole lot to thin out that attack service. Um, from an endpoint perspective, that being said, still gaps in the game. You still see Mimi cats, you know, jacking up Active Directory on a regular basis and selling credentials. So it's like, hey, we've got to get a little better there. Um, but VMware, you know, it's interesting. We we sit outside of all of that. We sit below the operating system. How far can I push my detections down into the hypervisor? That is super intriguing to us, I think, in, in the business unit. Like, can I see attacks before they even get to the OS? The answer to that is a, a yes. Now, how do we deploy that technology to make sense of it, right? So saying to an organization, we're actually giving you an infrastructure that can defend itself. This is a really, really cool premise. And I think speaks to um, what some of our larger customers talk about out there, um, especially when you look at the missions that they're on. Um, their missions may be a warfighting mission. Maybe it's an intelligence gatherer mission. But they really look at this ability um, as a as a strategic advantage, you know, over right. their competition, right? And and so I think if, if you think a little more strategically about um, the issues that present themselves, the the number of pixie dust items we have to sprinkle on top of fundamental problems, VMware actually has the ability to change the game on the fundamental problems to deliver something like a secure operating system with memory deception built into it, with credential deception. I mean, those are all things that um, from who we are and what we do become very intriguing right and that's what keeps me fired up about um you know being here frankly speaking yeah that's it is interesting you know there's nothing that good nothing good that comes out of the war in ukraine but if you look at the way the battles have changed right the technology and drones and ai it has made tanks and and artillery and much of the things you you considered the way to battle each other completely obsolete because all of a sudden you have ai drones flying around automatically looking for things and you have disinformation you have cyber warfare happening at at the whole shift you know because of technology and i can see that ai in the in the security battle could get just super interesting right like and not interesting in a good way but just just on both sides of the house it could become just an ai war as this moves forward yeah and i think um you highlighted um something which i do like to remind people of what's happening um with Russia and Ukraine, at least from a warfare perspective, is modern warfare. And I want to reiterate that the war started long before the first, you know, tanks went down range. Um, the electronic warfare, the actual, um, they were targeting individual Ukrainian soldiers with propaganda and misinformation to try to get them to, you know, overthrow their lieutenants or, you know, actually frag their lieutenants, right? And then, then you look at the disruption of critical infrastructure pieces and communications and all of those things. Um, it is modern warfare. And frankly speaking, if you if you think tanks are going to win you the next war, you're you're probably investing in in, in the wrong tool. 
Right. Yeah, that's 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 right. So it is it is interesting in that from that respect. Um, what do you think the community can do for you guys? I mean, you have the haulers, you have you know twenty five haulers that are out there. Uh, what do you think the IT community? We have a like two thousand five hundred of the experts that give or take listen to this podcast. Uh, uh, what can you think that the average IT administrator and practitioner you know do to help your cause? Yeah, I think a couple of different things. Um, one. I would say reach out, be engaged in the conversations. We're very active on any of the social platforms. Um, LinkedIn, you can find us at InfoSec Rick on Twitter. Um, you can, but your voice matters and it matters a lot. And um, if you look at, you know, my, a lot of my friends, um, they're, they're IT folks. They're, you know, of course I have friends in InfoSec, but I love my IT people. And so I've never understood for the longest time why, um, we don't like each other. Like e even our latest report, if you go look at them, the last one I, I, I spoke to at RSA, you know, 76% of respondents said they have a negative relationship between IT and security. And um, frankly speaking, after being in this industry this long, it is a, that, that's just, um, so, so who's going to change it? Is it going to yeah. be the C-level? No. You know who can change it? We can change it as a community. Yeah, so what can. do we need? Yeah. Right. We, we need participation. We need. Um, and in fact, what I used to do um, is we would give out like um, risk mitigation awards. So if someone brought us a risk and then went and fixed that risk, we would reward them by sending them to security conferences. I would love to see more CISOs do this. Like I want IT admins at DEF CON. I want them at Blackhead. Why? We speak a certain language. They're speaking a, a, a different language. We need to be in the same room. This is not a security problem. It is not an IT problem. It is a business problem and the and the two groups at the forefront of fixing this are um, completely detached and not talking to each other that's yeah. crazy right you know, so, so i think as leaders right. um we need to recognize that as cios your best friend should be your ciso right now if you have one right um and then you should have a clearly articulated strategy but for me i think far too often um we're in these echo chambers where i say something right. on linkedin i know my community I, you know, maybe IT misses that, right? Or maybe IT is like, actually, Rick, I think you are completely um, off base. I, I don't think this helps me when it comes to vulnerability remediation. Here's something we're doing that actually works for us. Also, I, I would like that wisdom so that I can include it in the toolkit that I try to impart. That's actually really a good insight, which is we've had this over the years when we started just doing compute virtualization. The network admins were these people that we didn't like each other, right? The compute always had to make requests of stuff. Network and network took forever, took a month for them to get back and open our supports, do whatever. So there was this, this, this disconnect between the network admin and the compute admin, right? And over the course of my time here at VMware, after like five or six years of that, it all came together because the technology brought it together. Network and compute, there wasn't really a difference. It was all one big fabric now, right? Storage was the same thing. Storage admins were these people that, oh, you had to go request storage and that. And I think now what you're saying, and this makes a lot of sense, is that, or at least I see this happening, which is, the reason carbon block is here is because it's becoming a fundamental piece that has to be done for the SDDC or the cloud or the multi-cloud, right? And then as us, as IT practitioners, we have to just learn this stuff. And as the minute you have to learn it, they're no longer bad guys. They're your friends because they can help you learn what you need. And all of a sudden you're all working together because security has become just like storage and networking. It is becoming a fabric that you have to worry about. And therefore, 
reach out to your local security team guys and get to know each other right and learn and, and you can make a bit more money because because i've been on this journey i've helped train a whole lot of admins to start doing security work the value that they have to their next organization or that organization is innumerable i mean think about look managing bitlocker just as a brief example right that's going to fall to some it admin or some help desk admin to do that's a crucial you know you mentioned encryption crucial like we're encrypting our data, great, you're already doing this. You know, there's tons of folks we work with that are um, the antivirus uh, administrators. I mean, right. It's probably not sitting in security, it's probably going to, you know, a junior admin that's out there. That is a wealth of experience. I mean, you're sitting in the midst of users clicking on things all of the time, right? And, and so I do look at it like, personally, if I'm an, uh, an, an IT administrator, I think it gives me um, diversification over one of my peers. I think I can um, garner a little bit of better money. And then to your point, I think I'm not going to get left behind there. And, I, and I, I've seen this journey. I mean, look, I, I very early in my career, um, you know, was going down the road of becoming um, E10K certified with Solaris. Yeah, I, mean, I, I spent an enormous amount of time mm -hmm. at their headquarters. <laughs> and then in the midst of that journey, John. it went away. Right. Like, like yep. we just stopped doing it. Right. Red Hat became a thing. Virtualization became a thing. And, and so we had to move away from these huge you know, risk-based systems, great. If I didn't pivot and right. then use those skills towards security, I'm gonna get left behind. And so for my IT brethren and sisters, I just go like, this is the future. Cloud security is gonna be part of how you, you know, deliver all of your modern apps, all of the future solutions. So, so learn it now, get those skills and, um, and we're here to help. Like I'm, right. I'm happy to engage in those conversations. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's great advice. And I would say that VMware, you know, somebody last week from my show where I was gushing about VMware Explorer went, yeah, go listen to the podcast because all they do is gush over the Explore name. Like, and to some degree I gush a little bit, but I, Coming from Sun and coming from IBM in my career over the years, um, I see VMware doing a really good job staying current, getting it, buying Carbon Black, bringing them in so that all of us as IT practitioners can ride that next wave, right? That we have experts like yourself, Rick, to be able to learn this stuff. And that makes our career and our investment, you know, stay, stay current. Right. So I, I love it's one idea. of the things I've appreciated. And again, I bought a lot of VMware product, you know, prior to you know, all of those things that I've appreciated out of the community itself is, um, yes, the, the training is on point. Yes, the, the training matters. Yes, people get hired based on that training. They get, you know, they get promoted based on that training. And if we can make that sticky. And then finally, the last thing I'll tell you, our big why. Imagine, just imagine for a second, if we can empower the hundreds of thousands of people that are trained in our platforms to drive better security outcomes. That is why we're here, right? Like we want to unlock the power of these really smart people to just be a little smarter in a certain area and take some better actions. Now I think we're getting to a place where we're, we're actually creating a, a world safe from cyber attack. Yeah, that's a great. All right. Last but not least, uh, we are on youtube.com slash vbarbecue. And uh, because it is lunchtime in California, we, we do the podcast every Wednesday, 12 to 1 at lunchtime. You can come watch us live if you want. Uh, we'll talk vbarbecue. So we have Tony Foster on the line. I know, I think he did some barbecue a weekend or two ago. So we'll, we'll loop over to Tony Foster. Um, before I get to Tony, Rick, I'll ask you. Uh, any favorite barbecue you like down there in San Diego? 
this, so this is a this is like a, a super great like people will fight to the death over this. Um, here, here's what I'll say: uh, pulled pork, North Carolina barbecue, and that sauce, and then Texas brisket. I, I don't know that it gets much better. Finding a place in San Diego that blends both of those together well is a little tough. Although we do have um, Phil's barbecue, which is which is um, pretty well. It's a little more Kansas City based. Uh, but for me, if I can get a fantastic pulled pork, Carolina pulled pork sandwich with um, that red vinegar sauce or a Texas brisket, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's it from Rick. Uh, Tony Foster, are you around? And uh, can you hear me? And I am. Do you have anything to talk about? Yes, I do. Um, so here last week, I uh, did pork chops. Um, I, I know it sounds standard, but oh, it was good. It, the uh, first pork chops of the uh, uh, season um, got them on the grill and oh, they were good. Now you do you? I think you use a honey glaze or something like that. Like you've told us your your pork chop recipe in the past. So uh, this time I just lightly seasoned them with a, a little bit of Tony Sachery seasoning um, and put them on. Most of the time, I do do a uh, glaze on them, um, and the glaze will vary, but a lot of times it is a honey glaze. Nice, nice. I do have one barbecue to, to send us off. Um, we did something unique. We got a couple of these portable barbecue pans, and you can get a Korean uh, half little round hat that goes on top of these little barbecue. You know, they use propane gas or natural, these little canister gases. Uh, and, you know, you, you slice steak in really thin pieces, and it's like Korean barbecue. You can get Greek Korean barbecue sauce and marinate your barbecue. So what you would go spend a couple hundred dollars with in your barbecue, you can do that in your backyard on these cute little barbecue things that you can get off Amazon, cute little propane ones. But the thing that we did was um, we went to a barbecue place, ordered some vegetables, and we always barbecue our vegetables, you know, on, on the grill, on these little things. They put a, they made a tinfoil boat, right? They put asparagus and broccoli in it, right? Then they put some oil in it. Then they put garlic butter in that, wrapped it up. And then they put that on the grill while you're grilling all your Korean barbecue things. And after about 10 minutes, you open that up and you get like steamed garlic, you know, vegetables. Oh man, let me tell you, that was, uh, that was something new that I hadn't seen before, which I mean, you know, you can wrap your vegetables in tin foil and do it on your, on your Weber or whatever, but never thought uh, to that's how to do it in a cream korean barbecue area so cool stuff uh, with that rick uh thanks for being on the show uh at infosec rick go give him a follow and thanks for being here and uh talking a little bit about security go watch the howlers give him a follow uh and if you're really into security uh you know i know that Corey romero has a v expert subgroup uh that is carbon black you can uh, apply to to be part of that uh or go follow them and uh, maybe one day you'll be a howler too so rick thanks a lot for coming on the show Thank you for having me. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.